Hey, guess what, Rockheads? Progress Telerik wants to send someone to build. So they're having a contest. Step one is to sign up and learn about the new innovative modern UI tools they'll be announcing at Build. By registering, you'll be entered to win a full conference pass to Microsoft Build plus a $500 travel stipend. They're also giving away three Telerik DevCraft UI licenses. And for .NET Rocks listeners, they'll also be giving away a Telerik DevCraft UI license every week. All you have to do is register at buildcontest.pwop.me. That's buildcontest.pwop.me. Progress offers the leading platform for developing and deploying mission-critical business applications. The creator of the award-winning Telerik.net and Kendo UI, JavaScript user interface components and controls, reporting solutions, and productivity tools, Progress offers all the tools developers need to build high-performant, modern apps with outstanding UI. Go now to buildcontest.pwop.me and sign up to win. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. In our respective studios, talking to you for the next hour or so. It's going to be amazing. This is going to be a good show. I'm excited mm-hmm. about it. Springtime. Uh, yeah, well, I can't wait. <laughs> it's been a long winter, hasn't it? I've been waiting for the summer to come for about three or four months now. I love that song. That's yeah. a good one. That's what I, I, I post that on my Facebook channel every time there's a nor'easter so it's been getting a lot of airplay <laughs> <laughs> yeah one of those winners uh i have something for better know framework that's off topic but it's so cool that i just can't contain myself ah, i like it when that happens yeah all right dude lay it on me obs studio open broadcaster software oh oh i've heard of this Yep. This is going to ruin TriCaster's day. That's All what this of that is. stuff is going away with this. This is a free and open source app. Runs on Windows, Mac, and Linux for video recording and live streaming. Interesting. Yep. So it's not an editing tool. It is the streaming tool. And recording, like most, and recording. Like most of them do. I've been using Wirecast for so long, right? right? And then the Ustream producer is essentially Wirecast. That's what I've been using. And then, but if you're using Ustream, like the service, you're you're paying a lot right. with this and YouTube live streaming. It's essentially free. Right. And uh, oh, I see here Twitch as well, which, of course, that's a that's a big biz these days. Yeah, it folks is making a living playing video games on Twitch. Yeah. But if you if you ever go and watch one of these things, you don't have to be a video game fan. But as a, as a producer type, mm. the very common layout is obviously the games in the background. But the player, the person playing typically is green screened inlaid mm. into the game. It's very cool. Yeah. yeah. So I'm sure OBS plays a role in that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if they have, you know, I, you remember the Connect had a tool that did automatic green screen, but you know, it found the edges of your body by right. using the calculations of, you know, whatever. But it, it wasn't all that good. So to really do it right, you do need a green screen behind you that's lit behind you. And then you have to be lit as well. Yeah. But I don't know. Maybe they've got some stuff in here that does it. I have no mm. idea. I haven't, I haven't, I, I installed it. I started going through the wizards and stuff. I haven't used it. But people I know that do this for a living swear by it. Hmm. I should, we should poke Jeff Fritz about that one of these days because he's been doing a Twitch live stream coding. And I wonder if he uses OBS to do that. Good find, dude. Yeah. I'm glad you. Pop this link. Yep. Eat one. 
Good stuff. Who's talking to us today, Richard? I uh, grabbed a comment off a of show 1527, which we did back earlier in March with Scott Hunter talking about the .NET Core 2 map, which that kicked up a stink. Everyone is pretty excited to see the .NET yeah. Core continuing to progress. Yep. And this comment comes from Philippe Luro. Seems very Filipino, if I had to guess, uh, who says, I'm already using .NET Core on our production systems. And like you said, our decision making was because of the performance improvement that it brought on an API that is currently managing more than 250 transactions per second. Wow. I'm very interested to see how this is going to progress in the future. It's interesting. I think every time we talk to Hunter about .NET Core, there's this whole conversation about the the tech empower benchmarks and stuff, the yeah. performance, 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 and keeping those speeds up. So clearly, yeah. uh, Philippe falls into the category of folks that are are looking at those performance characteristics. Yeah, yeah. it's good stuff. Yeah. So, Philippe, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via any of our social media. Because we publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet. We do not use a green screen. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to read them. <laughs> we use it for color balancing. <laughs> Okay. Uh, hey, guess what? Casey Ulinhood is here, and uh, we're going to talk to her right now. She's a program manager on the .NET and Visual Studio team at Microsoft. She helps .NET developers write better code faster by working on tools like IntelliSense, navigation, refactorings, code style configuration, enforcement, and more. Welcome, Casey. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. You get to work on all the fun stuff. All the fun stuff. I know. I got so lucky that I get to work on all the all the good stuff. Yeah, IntelliSense is like, I don't know. I, I feel naked without it now, nowadays. Yeah, I want it everywhere. Yeah, it's uh, really hard to go back to typing without it once you kind of get used to that completion. So, Although, I don't know about you guys, but I've sort of disabled that on my phone. I have an Android phone and I don't mind telling you. And I disabled it because I just, I'm all thumbs with that stuff. It's more infuriating trying to work out, you know, obviously when you have a language like C Sharp or VBNet, you have a limited, you have context, right? But in, mm -hmm. when you're just writing text, it's trying to guess what you're saying and it's often wrong. <laughs> That's why you have to apply my don't look back principle with texting. <laughs> I like it's that. You just keep going forward yeah. and, you know. Let's just move it's on. Close enough. <laughs> True friends can decipher it. That's oh, my man. philosophy. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, Do goodness. a for loop for a thousand times and say, no. <laughs> In the text. <laughs> no, 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 no. Anyway. What were we talking about before I so rudely interrupted us? Tell us about what you do day to day and what you're working on. Uh, yeah. So primarily what I'm in charge of is helping make .NET developers more productive as they're writing code inside Visual Studio. And so that's pretty much what I do every day. So uh, tasks I do involve like watching people code to see where the bottlenecks in their productivity are, uh, sending out surveys and following up on survey results. Uh, to follow up on problems that people are having, a uh, lot of customer interviews. Mm. Uh, and then I write a bunch of apps myself to put myself in the customer's shoes. Uh, and then, yeah, we, and then like do a ton of design work on like, for example, one of the big things we're doing now is 
the code style configuration and enforcement. So how can we uh, make developers more productive by making it so they don't have to think about making their code base consistent? It just will be. Nice. Uh, and the other one is trying to figure out how we can make our IntelliSense experience even better, uh, which yeah. is another big thing that we're working on designing. And like, how can we modify the ranking algorithm? If we change sort order, will that you know make people angry? Will mm. they notice? Uh, and things like that. So it's all about testing these waters before we actually ship it all out. Do you find that when you're talking to customers and talking to developers that, or when you're watching them try to be productive, that they don't even know about some of the things that Visual Studio has in there? Like uh, that they could, they just, if they knew about and somebody said, hey, do that. You know, wow, I didn't know about that. Yeah, uh, that happens all the time, which is why I've sort of have recently, I'm sort of turning into a marketer uh, because we're realizing the biggest problem that we have is discoverability of our stuff. Mm. Uh, And so people will be like, oh, if only you had extract method. And it's like, oh, we've had extract method for years. (laughs) So it's all trying to figure out how to uh, make these things better. Yeah. Yeah. So like one thing we did for example, with refactorings is uh, when we went to Roslyn, we didn't actually make the light bulb appear if a refactoring was available. Right. So right now, like if your cursor's in a spot, like in a squiggle or whatever, a light bulb will appear and it has a code fix or a refactoring that you can apply. Uh, but for refactorings, we didn't pop up that light bulb. Uh, and because of that, no one knew a refactoring was available. So we actually did like an A-B study where we popped up the light bulb for a certain amount of people for refactorings and then saw like every refactoring like doubled in usage and like tripled in frequency. Like it's a huge uh, difference just by popping up the light bulb and making it more discoverable. So we're always trying like little things like that Mm. uh, to improve discoverability. So what are some of the other um, productivity things that people might not know about or that, uh, that you are extremely excited about? Uh, well, the probably one of the top ones that people ask for that's not exciting at all and has been in the product forever is to sync your active file in the Solution Explorer. So a lot of people want to ah. see their file in the Solution Explorer and like where it is in their file hierarchy. Right, right. Uh, but they don't know that there's there's an option to always keep them in sync and there's also a keyboard shortcut to sync them. Ah. Uh, but that one's like a kind of unsexy feature that people mm-hmm. just don't know about. Mm. Uh what I like, I think a ton of the refactorings, like every point release. So we've been shipping Visual Studio at a faster cadence now than ever before. Crazy uh, fast. Yeah, like crazy. Like people, some people even complain it's like too fast. Uh, but as a product team member, it's great because people will ask for things, and now in like three months, we can get it out to them or less, uh, mm. and we can get people like experimenting with new things that we have faster. And so every point release, we're always putting out more code fixes and refactorings. And I think those are the things that um, are really helpful to developers as they're writing code. Mm-hmm. Uh, this code style configuration feature. So this is literally, we set rules on the way code's supposed to look and you can't compile until it complies. Uh, basically we're, we're still working on it. Uh, but right now you use, what we're calling, uh, so there's a open source file format out there called editor config. Mm. Uh, a lot, it works across like every single editor. It lets you set like UTF settings, uh, new line, your indent style, indent size. Uh, and so those are like the kind of basic core features nice. that are part of editor config. 
Tab and versus spaces. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the, you know, age-old battles. And then we mm. worked with the editor config community to extend it to work with .NET code style. Mm. Uh, and so that's what we allow you to do now. So now you can set oh, all membraces versus K&R. You can do uh, naming conventions in there. You can do var versus, var versus explicit type to be another kind of one of those code war um, things that people have. I believe that editor config was Mads Christensen, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so we wrote all the editor config stuff. Mads K wrote a language service to help you use our new rules. Ah, okay. Uh, and that's just because we just haven't had time to build all of it in. And so he just went and like hard coded a lot of the rules in there so that as you're typing, you get nice colorization and code completion for if you mm. want to enforce it at the error suggestion warning or none level and things like that. Okay. Yeah. The, I think one of the, the, this really came out of the Java Python world, uh, Trey Hunter and a, okay. or Hunter and a, and a few other guys. It's a big open source project, but it's, it's cool to be working with it too. Yeah. And so like the benefit is, you know, the editor config file travels with your source code. So anyone who clones your repo will get it. And if they're in, you know, Visual Studio, then it will enforce all of those things. Neat. Uh, all those code style rules. So it's like really great for open source authors, for example, who, you know, have all these pull requests that come in, but, you know, they're not uh, consistent with the rest of the code base, which makes right. it harder for people to then read and contribute to the open source code in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what we're working on now with that is currently if you set something as an error, it won't actually break your build. Wow. Uh, but yeah. we're working to pipe editor config support through the compiler uh, so that it will be enforced at the compiler level. And so then if you do set something as an error, it will break your code. Uh, so if you want to be a real stickler, we got you. Yeah. <laughs> not just popping warnings, but like, no, will not compile. Yep. And the other thing we're working on there is so now if you make a bunch of things errors, like the nicest thing that you can do is have a button to fix everything at once, especially if it's like formatting related mm, or right. like syntactic only. So we're working on a code style cleanup feature as well, uh, which we're calling like a fix all of fix all. Cause like right now you can fix all violations of a single rule, mm. but you can't fix all violations of all rules. Is this something that Microsoft would use internally? I mean, I know you guys actually build Visual Studio with Visual Studio, right? Yes. Like, we dog food everything. So, like, all of Roslyn, for example, we all write in Roslyn or in Visual Studio. Yeah. Yeah. I think the number one productivity tip that uh, helped me was using that quick launch bar and just searching for things. Yeah, control Q to find your options. Yeah, rather than just going through all the code and looking for stuff manually. It's just easy. Yeah. Yeah. On that same kind of wave, we have control T, which is go to all, formerly navigate to, which was control comma. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's another feature that we've been putting a lot of investment in because people just want to be able to quickly navigate to a file or a type or a member. Right. Uh, and it just quickly allows you to do that. And so we've been doing a lot of work on changing the sort order in there. So it works better for camel case matching and mm. uh, finds what you need faster and allowing to filter by different categories and things like that. Yeah. Do you find yourself running up against stuff like code rush and refactor when you start getting into this kind of thing of, of optimization and, and productivity enhancements? Or is that just, you know, part of the business? You mean Resharper. in terms of like third-party third party extensions yeah. doing similar things? Yeah. Uh, 
No, like most of them are partners with us. A lot of them are using Roslyn, which is sort of the whole reason we made Roslyn was sure. that anyone could use these compiler APIs to write their own code generation tools mm. or their own code analysis tools. And so that's just really contributing to the ecosystem that we already have uh, to help people, you know, write .NET better and faster. There are a lot of third-party tools that do um, uh, telemetry, you know, and or timing. Uh, uh, it's always a mystery to me. Um, not always, but, you know, it used to be, and it can be. If you've got stuff that's happening on other threads, stuff that happens sort of in real time, things slow down, you can't really step through them and test them. Um, you do have code analysis now in Visual Studio. How is that going to help me? Uh, in terms of like profiling? Yeah, exactly. So right now, I don't actually think we do a lot of profiling for like, like the debugger profiler mm -hmm. is different than the Roslyn one and things like that. Because the Roslyn is .NET specific. Uh, okay. And most Visual Studio tools need to actually work with all languages. Mm, right. Yeah, and I guess that's part of the challenge. What we are working on now performance-wise with code analysis is, uh, I believe we're working on a profiler right now where we can tell. So a bunch of people, like anyone can write a Roslyn analyzer, which mm. allows you to plug into the squiggles inside Visual Studio and the light bulb. So you can write a diagnostic mm. to squiggle a violation inside your code. Uh, and then you can add a fix for that diagnostic in the light bulb menu. Uh, and so anyone can write one of these. Uh, but sometimes, uh, depending on what kind of action you're registering your, mm -hmm. your code action to, it may have a negative perf impact. Uh, and so we're working on making a profiler right now so that people who are writing analyzers can tell, you know, oh, was this the right, you know, should I use compilation start action here mm -hmm. or compilation end action and mm -hmm. figuring out like, oh, what are the performance hits based on which one I do? Right. Uh, so that if you are running, you know, this huge code analysis on an entire solution, you're not, you know, killing your, your, you know, customer's machine. Right. right. I guess one of the things I realized with Rosalind is this code analysis effect that you're literally just compiling the code behind as we write it. So we're getting good assessments. You don't have to do that old fashioned compile, look at the warnings, look at the errors kind of thing. Right. We're working to tighten the feedback loop, essentially, because mm -hmm. development is, you know, kind of one of those weird forms of creation where... It's not like painting where the second paint hits the canvas, you get immediate feedback right. on where you're going. And as you're, you know, brushing your paintbrush across the canvas, you can course correct. Like as you're coding, you just kind of code and kind of hope for the best until you click build. <laughs> and then you get to see something. And even then you might have to interact with the result mm. in order to see uh, if you got the results you wanted. Uh, and so that's what we're trying to do is really tighten that feedback loop by providing more info as you're writing code, which is where the code analysis stuff comes in. Uh, we're now doing like, you know, the live code analysis. So as you're writing code, we can tell you, oh, that's a syntax error. Or, you know, I think you actually want to do this or this looks like a typo. Uh, so as you're typing, you can now get closer uh, to the results that you need. And we're doing this with like live unit testing as well. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. We've done a couple of shows around some of the new testing features that are built into Studio. Uh, but I think they originally came out of the MSR group, didn't they? Do you, do you bump, you deal with that where it, stuff gets built elsewhere and then you get inside of Microsoft and you get pulled into Studio? Uh, 
I, there, there's, I don't know, everyone knows. There's like always reorgs. So reorgs sure. happen all the time. And so <laughs> like <laughs> testing didn't used to be owned by uh, like our team. It was actually under a different director. And then one reorg happened and now testing's under my director. And uh, now my team works with it. And that's like how live unit testing was able to happen and things like that. So mm. it was like always shuffling going around that change where product teams live. Right. And I think everyone agrees that, you know, the closer proximity wise you are to teams, the more likely you can collaborate. So absolutely. Hey, uh, hold that thought for just one second while we take this moment for a very important message. We've all come to expect that distributed databases can't be both globally consistent and scalable. But what if you didn't have to make trade-offs? What if you could have a fully managed database service that's consistent scales horizontally across data centers, and speaks SQL. Introducing Cloud Spanner, a mission-critical relational database service from Google Cloud Platform. Built from the ground up and battle-tested at Google for strong consistency and high availability at a global scale. Learn more about Cloud Spanner online at g.co slash getspanner. That's g.co slash getspanner. And we're back. It's .NET Rocks. Carl Franklin, Richard Campbell, and Casey Uhlenhut is here. We're talking productivity in Visual Studio. Um, I can't let a show like this go without saying how much I love Code Lens. Love, oh, love, yeah? love. Oh, yeah. I use it all the time. And and that's one of those things that I, I look for it. You know, if I'm on a different machine and I haven't turned that on or whatever and it, it's not there, I'm like, oh, man, I use it all the time. And what parts of it are you using? The references, the yeah, the references, or the references, right? Exactly. So, so I I know when I have dead code. I know when there's nothing referencing code, and I kind of knew that in the back of my head, but now it's absolutely clear. Ah, that was something that I wrote before. I don't need that anymore. Uh, Or I need to know, you know, how many things is are calling this guy. Uh, It's just, it's just right there. Click, boom, done. Love it. Yeah. That's like everyone's favorite thing is that they're like, oh, Colens helps me identify dead code. Mm. Uh, and a lot of people want us to even go further where we like fade out dead code. Nice. So it's actually one of our top feature requests that we're trying to get around to is uh, doing the sort of dead code analysis. Yeah, that's cool. So all you really have to do is just make it sort of dark gray against black or, you know, light gray against white if it's uh, yep. if it's dead. Love it. Yeah, the only problem is, like, what we have to think about then is say you're prototyping something and you quickly whip up a method, but you haven't used it yet. It'll be, like, faded out. But, like, you don't want it to be faded out. So, we have to figure out how we can (laughs) um, make a good user experience around the dead code analysis so that Hmm. uh, they're only getting that feedback when they actually want it. Yeah, that's smart. It's very cool. Yeah, and, and clever. It's just interesting to think about code that way. We used to do this all by hand. Yeah, I know. Now we have tools that help make you so productive. <laughs> so you can actually think about other things like mm. the logic of what you're writing rather than did I use the right, you know, syntax. Visual Studio is, seems like the, you know, the word, the word for Windows of code development environments. In other words, there's so many features in there and it's so big. And has so many things that, like we were talking about discoverability before, you know, I, I bet your average developer doesn't hit 10% of what Visual Studio can do. 
That's a guess. Yeah, I'm like wanting to do this. Like, I I don't know how I would do it yet, but a, a like campaign where I try to get people to be power users of Visual Studio. Right. Like, where I try to figure out what are they using and then what do they need to use next to go to the next level. Uh, so I need to see if there's some way I can like machine learn on the telemetry <laughs> that I have. Sure. To, yeah. I can do that whole if you're if you're using these capabilities here's the next capability you should use mm. yeah like I should be able to like cluster users by commands and frequency somehow and yeah. figure something out so that's like one of my like pet projects that I'm trying to do on the side that would be cool and especially you know if do you want Visual Studio to make you a better developer it's going to watch what you do and make suggestions okay I'd put I'd turn that <laughs> yeah, on okay I guess yeah. I'd turn that on sure yeah but we do have the opposite developer who is like, uh, so we have like the developer who uses that live feedback to figure out what they need to do next mm. uh, and what to fix. But then we have the opposite kind of developer who sees that stuff and is like, what a distraction. You're taking me out of my element. I know right. exactly what I need to write. Right. Just like give me this later when I want it on command or on demand later. Uh, and so we have to figure out how we can help both these different types of developers and how we can, you know, cater that experience. So we are looking into how we can make some sort of Zen mode esque thing, uh, especially as the world is getting more and more towards putting feedback, more and more feedback inside the editor, where it's going to alienate that other type of developer. So we have to figure out what the balance is there. But you do have that choice too. The, the, the sort of assemble your own, do it your own way tool is vi is Visual Studio Code. The you, everything's in here. We can take care of you. You can do customizations if you want to. Is Visual Studio doesn't that balance itself out? Uh, sorta. Like some people who are like, yeah, I use VS Code, but I want to quickly prototype, and then use Visual Studio for the rest. Right. Uh, and there's people who are like, I only use Visual Studio, nothing else. There's people mm -hmm. who use you know, notepad or sublime to do prototyping. But uh, yeah, like, uh, like, as you're talking about, like IntelliSense, some people like need the IntelliSense that they're used to, we actually have different IntelliSense between VS Code and Visual Studio. Oh, right. They're not exactly the same. Yeah, so it's not exactly the same. So some people that will throw them out of their element as well. And so we just got to think of what the right w way is to make both these kind of developers happy. So we are investigating some sort of Zen mode thing. And how are you surveying? Is it just user voice? And I, I flatly admit I pulled up user voice before the show just to see what they talk about in Visual Studio. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Are we still talking about open sourcing VB6? Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, you mean like how am I getting the data that I yeah. have? Yeah. Is, is it is what's uh, is it how much is user voice like, or what's the tools that you're using to get feedback? Right. Well, so we, the Roslyn team, which is the team I'm on, we have GitHub. So we have tons of issues that come through GitHub. And actually, the more you upvote or like plus one, uh, the things on GitHub, like the easier it is for us to prioritize them. Uh, but we also, at the top of Visual Studio, there's the little send feedback character with the speech bubble. Those things go directly to the Visual Studio teams. So if you type something in there where you're like, oh, I need this code style rule, it goes directly to our team and we can see it. Uh, right. And it's just frequency at that point. Like how many people have asked for this stuff? Like 
Uh, and then a lot of it's just customer interviews. So if I go to a conference, people will reach out to me or I'll get their email from that and follow up with them. And then they have teammates or they have friends uh, or, you know, some people are on like, we'll get from like marketing lists. And then when we reach out to them asking to fill out surveys, I try to always put like, do you want to follow up with me? And so I have email addresses from that. And so mm-hmm. then just have tons of conversations uh, with developers about what they want and what they need. Do they surprise you from time to time? You know, I, I can imagine you hear the same stories over and over again, but every once in a while you, do you, you get a gem, I imagine. Well, currently we're starting to hear a lot of the same feedback over and over again, but mm-hmm. it's always like mm-hmm. the first time you hear it is like, whoa, that was cool. And then you, <laughs> because you were like, wow, that was a good idea. Mm-hmm. Then every other person you talk yeah, to, yeah. if they mention it, it like compounds. You're like, oh, wow, like we got to do this. Yeah. So, sure. Uh, like push member up down is the one that I've been hearing a lot recently where it's mm-hmm. like you can promote a field up the hierarchy chain. Ah. Or down from the hierarchy chain as well. So, uh, which I had never thought about that one, but that one's nice. Uh, and then a lot of people just catch things that we might have missed. Like we have add parameter to a constructor, right, but right. we don't have it for a method. Uh, it's just like, oh, like, duh. <laughs> and so sometimes <laughs> we just like, miss things. And so people help us, you know, course correct for those things. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? It must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's time to introduce a new productivity feature, refracturing. So as you know, when your code breaks, you get creative. So <laughs> if you're coding along and everything's working great, you, you get that uneasy feeling. You hit the refracture button and your code breaks again, like it did before. You see what I did there? That's a great feature. I like, you like that. that. You know, I don't really need a tool for doing that because <laughs> that pretty much happens to my code anyway. <laughs> yeah, just press any random key. <laughs> yes. Pretty sure I just smack my head on the keyboard and I get those results. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually time to give away a D-Experience subscription from our friends at DevExpress to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. You know, everyone knows that DevExpress has great desktop controls, but their web tools are just amazing. They have a collection of HTML5 JavaScript controls called DevExtreme. At the heart of this product line are powerful controls like grid, chart, pivot grid, tree list, and scheduler. But DevExtreme also comes with more than 50 touch-optimized client-side controls, data visualizers, navigators, editors, lists, dialogues, and notification controls. And general purpose controls like filter builders, range sliders, file uploaders, scroll viewers, and more. And since they're all HTML5, JavaScript, and CSS, they include integrations with things like jQuery, Knockout, React, Ionic, and Angular. Also, DevExtreme controls come with ASP.NET MVC and ASP.NET Core wrappers. So it's ultimately flexible. But don't take our word for it. Go for a test drive right now at dx.netrocks.com. That's dx.netrocks.com. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Barled Boot. Congratulations. Yeah. Congratulations, Barled. I'll clap for you, sir. Indeed. And Barled just won a D-Experience subscription, a big pile of awesome from our friends at DevExpress, just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. 
And if you want to join the fan club, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the fan club. But you got to sign up to win. And we also like to ask our guests, Casey, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy? Oh, uh, that's tough. Like any technology? Does sure. it have to really go. work? Or my, my personal Doesn't have to be code. Can be any technology. Um, any technology. Wow, the hard questions. Uh, well, I'm super practical, so I'd probably be like another monitor. <laughs> Nothing wrong <laughs> with that. my workstation at home. That's like really boring. Uh, whatever the new Kindle is that's going to come out. That's what I want. They're always Tech using one. another Kindle. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I've actually finally kept a Kindle long enough that its battery starting to weaken. Because normally I leave it, leave it on an airplane or something and they're gone forever. And then I, that's an excuse to get a new one. Uh-huh. But I think, yeah, it's almost time to buy a new Kindle. I got one of the original Paper Whites, which is a great Kindle. But somehow I have managed to lose it. I might actually just have to replace it. Yeah. Yeah. My backup Kindle is the OG Kindle keyboard where it had a <laughs> keyboard and everything. <laughs> it's pretty great. <laughs> That's a, whenever I break one of mine, I'm like, oh, I got to go back to the Kindle keyboard. Here we go. <laughs> so. Yeah, but they do make some high-end ones now. I'll tell you, but, you know, they, you're not going to get through 5000 bucks buying a Kindle. Yeah. Uh, maybe I would buy the Surface Dial also mm. or um, a fancier Surface Pen. Because I actually love the Surface Book because I also do, like, graphic design for fun in my free time. And oh, wow. Writing on the screen with the Surface Book is so awesome. Like, <laughs> like I used to have to like plug in a USB with like a little tablet, and you would write on that tablet and see <laughs> it up on a screen. Yeah, Wacom uh, tablet. Yeah, which that like having your brain have to think about writing mm. down on a table, but seeing the results up higher. Yeah, it's not. It was right. always really hard. Uh, and now with like the surface, you just draw directly on it, just like it's paper. And it's just, yeah, you can just whip up stuff so much faster now. Yeah. I've got a, uh, a daughter who, who's an artist who, um, when I got her on the surface pro, she actually used her Wacom less. Like just, yeah, it was that mm -hmm. good. It just like, yeah, yep, this works. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. Oh, maybe I would like buy myself a lifetime supply of Photoshop and illustrator. There you go. <laughs> So expensive. That'll work. What is it, 60 bucks a month? I think it's like 99, 60, yeah. something like that. 65, yeah. yeah. Creative Cloud. Uh, I convinced work to pay for it because I do a lot of mock-ups. Uh, and so I'm like, I can't do a mock-up if it's not in, in Photoshop. So <laughs> 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 got away with it that way. Because a lot of people just use PowerPoint. But I can't do that. I'm a, no, no. I'm a Photoshop better skills style. than that. Yeah, so uh, I like it. Well, also, I think if you're doing a mock-up, if it looks like Visual Studio, you can tell immediately if people have an allergic action. So it's like, oh, I changed the sorting order of IntelliSense. This is what it will look like now. Whereas if you just had like a really like you know ghetto boxes with Comic Sans text in the middle, it's much harder to tell if that would you know if you're bothered by the look of the mock-up or the actual ordering of things. Do you think that mock-ups are actually more effective than e even showing it in code per se? Like it's, it's safer, it upsets them less. 
As opposed to a prototype? As opposed to a prototype, exactly. Well, mock-up is way cheaper than a prototype. That's true. Yeah. Mm. I, so, I wouldn't say it's necessarily better, but it's cheaper. So, you can iterate on it faster and get initial ideas. Uh, and then once you go from there, then prototype is, I mean, I'm all of the developer experience. So, I mm-hmm. need to know as they're typing if it's going to work. So, we're actually, when we're working on the like smarter IntelliSense that we're working on, we're going to do UX studies to see if people are able to type faster, if what they want is in the top three and things like that. Casey, are there any online resources to help people become more productive with Visual Studio? Yeah, great question. Uh, We actually, so I spent all of December trying to document everything inside Visual Studio that has to do with productivity. And then we actually have a docs team now working to keep me in check to make sure I'm documenting everything. Uh, so we have tons of documentation on docs at Microsoft.com. Yeah. Uh, and I've actually written a how to be productive in Visual Studio 2017 guide, uh, which you can go to. Uh, it's like aka.ms slash VS 2017 guide. Right. And that tells you what features may be off by default that you really want to use so that you, sh- you can mm. turn on. Mm. Uh, and just has like a list of all the different navigation capabilities we have, how to use editor config uh, and things like that. Very good. When I pulled up that that particular post, and right away ended up on the unit test stuff, and it reminded me of the whole that whole live unit testing. Although I think it's an enterprise only feature, isn't it? Yes, live unit testing is enterprise only. But it's cool to literally have as you're typing code, see your test start to pass. Oh yeah. Yep, it's the whole bringing feedback sooner as you're typing uh, thing that we were talking about earlier, right. and that's what live unit testing does. So typically, if you're writing it. You know, doing unit testing, you have to, you know, like you write a bunch of code. You're like, oh, did this make my test fail or not? Right. And so you figure out what tests you're going to run to check. And if you run all your tests, it usually takes too long. So you kind of guess what is the smallest number that will run the fastest. Right. You have the most confidence in. And you click some button somewhere to run them. And they have to navigate to a separate window to actually see the results of your unit tests. And so live unit testing kind of gets rid of all of those manual steps from the equation by just, as you type, we use Roslyn to figure out what tests are, or what yeah tests are impacted by your code change. Uh, then we run those tests for you. And then inline in the editor, without you losing that context of your development, we let you know uh, if where you are is failing or passing with tests. It's really clever. It's very, it, and it's, you know, right against that sort of code style approach, and one of the styles is passes the tests, uh, passes the code test. So you want all of those that kinds of enforcements going on. Mm-hmm. Just be able to sort sort out what what's breaking and why. Uh, we I used Style Cop years ago to do some of that stuff. Is do you see the code style configuration and and the uh, configuration editor thing just replacing that? Uh, so. StyleCop used to be sort of like a tool that you would run. Mm-hmm. And now what's actually happened is the StyleCop, I don't know if it's like their team specifically or it's just like community people who have always used StyleCop have used Roslyn analyzers to write all the StyleCop rules as Roslyn analyzers. So as you're typing inside Visual Studio, if you have those NuGet packages installed that come with those analyzers, you will get all violations squiggled inside your editor. That's cool. Very cool. And so, I mean, my team personally does not use the style cop rules uh, because they put like usings inside the namespace and things like that. 
but if that's if your team uses style cop and you want that live enforcement, there's definitely the community has made a style cop analyzer. This is what it's called. Uh, rosin analyzer package that you can install and use. Yep. Found it on GitHub and you certainly get it off of NuGet. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, take advantage of Rosalind doing all this work for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And people have just like built so many cool things using Rosalind. It's pretty neat. Yeah. It's just one of those mind blowing technologies that you, you, you don't think about what you can do until you've used it. And then you say, Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> well, we did the show with Mads T years yeah. ago uh, at the beginning of Rosalind shipping. And it was sort of this conversation about I mean, 2013. I just looked it up. 2013. Wow. It said there's about to be a Cambrian explosion of of C sharp because of this. And here we are five years later, and it's happening. It's just you know, style cop now has got an analyzer, so it operates in real time. Yeah. This is nutty. Yep. So what's next for you or what's next for studio because you you be you're pushing out these updates so often i i wonder if we even need to rev version numbers anymore you're asking questions way above my pay grade man (laughs) 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 i don't know (laughs) they're gonna tell you how it's gonna go we could call the boss but it'll cost release in the next one (laughs) that's it yeah no that's very fair very fair I just build. We like have ideas what we want to do, but we don't know when they'll come out or anything. So can we? uh, Can the community get involved um, on GitHub or any other public um, uh, discussion area where where they can uh, send their suggestions? Yes. So in the productivity guide link that I shared with you all at the bottom, it tells you how you can share feedback. Uh, which is on our GitHub, you can file issues or find issues on there and comment on them or use that send feedback icon at the top of Visual Studio. And from there, I believe it takes you to developer community, it's called, and mm-hmm. you can upvote things on there as well. Uh, or people can just straight up email me if they're saying switch. My email is K-A-S-E-Y-U at Microsoft.com. Yeah, excellent. I will take all your suggestions and make sure that we can compile them all and get stuff done. Casey, thanks for the work that you do, and uh, thanks for joining us today on .NET Rocks. Yeah, thanks for having me. You bet. All right, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and of course in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a 